I said last week that the relationship between various kinds of people is regularly discussed in the Bible. And we looked at the first part of 1 Peter 5 where there are instructions on how two types of people are to relate to one another, elders and young men. And we saw how elders are to behave last week, so this week we're going to study how young men are to relate to their elders. And just like last week, we applied everything that we said about elders, applied to fathers. You remember that? So this week, we're seeing that as we hear this brief but hard instruction to young men, it also applies not just to how they are to relate to elders, but also to their fathers. And of course, it also relates to young women as well. So, if you are a young man or a young woman, I hope you will listen and pay attention particularly today, especially given that it is Father's Day. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word from 1 Peter chapter 5. Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. You see this, verse 5, you younger men likewise be subject to your elders. All through the Bible there are words like this that it's easy for us to misconstrue. Likewise means in like manner, right? So it means similarly or in the same way. In the same way. And because we are egalitarians, meaning we want everything and everyone to be equal, 
Okay? That means that whenever we see a likewise, we're tempted to say, okay, everything that has been said applies to everybody exactly the same way. Likewise. Right? But look at what is actually said here, and you realize that the likewise means something very different than everybody's exactly the same. Young men are supposed to treat old men the same way that old men are supposed to treat young men. It's all identical. It's very different because look, look at what came earlier. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. That's the instruction to elders. And then it says, likewise to the younger men. Likewise, and you think, oh, if, if it means what I think it means, he's about to say, likewise, younger men, exercise oversight over the flock. Right? But it doesn't say that. So why does it say likewise or in the same manner or in the same way be subject to your elders? Well, what he's saying is be obedient to God, all of you. All of you live the way that you're supposed to live according to your station in life. That's it. It's that simple. Here's how elders are supposed to live that out. Here's how young men are supposed to live that out. And that's why there's a likewise there. Now, it's not that hard to understand, is it? Or you can, you, can, you can relate it directly to the text by simply going back to the previous verse and saying, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You realize, oh, okay, so there's this reward. Here's how elders are to live as they seek that reward. And now here, likewise, here are instructions to young men as they seek that same reward, that unfading crown of glory. Now, having said that there are differences, let's acknowledge for a minute that there are also a lot of similarities, right? There are a lot of similarities between young men and old men. After all, they're both men, right? And so although there are certain sins and temptations attendant unto youth and unto old age, meaning certain sins are more tempting to young men in general and certain sins are more tempting to old men in general, so it's also true that we're all tempted, right? And there's a lot of overlap in what we are tempted by. And in particular, we see this call to humility that is given to everybody. We are all to be humble. Because pride is a temptation that is common unto all of us. All of us are tempted to be proud. And interestingly, if you think about what it, that these instructions to an elder look like, 
They're supposed to live a certain way, right? They're supposed to rule in a certain way. And you get to the very last description of how they're supposed to be, and what does it say? Proving to be examples to the flock. Now all of a sudden the similarity is even greater, isn't it? Because you realize, oh, I'm supposed to, even though I'm doing something different, I am leading and they are following. Even though I am doing something different, I'm supposed to do it in such a way that I am an example to them so that they can follow and be learning from how I am living how they are to live. That's what an example, proving to be an example means, right? Now, one of the things about fathers and leaders in general, one of the things about elders is that we are always being examples. We are always being examples. There is no escape from being an example to those who are watching to those who are following, to those who are commanded to be subject to you. There's no escaping that. And yet, what is this instruction? Proving to be examples to the flock. Proving to be examples to the flock is different than uh, that, that universal that you are always an example to those under you. Right? Proving to be examples to the flock means that you are living in such a way that they ought to follow your example. There's a lot of ways of leading where people ought not to follow your example. Now, you young men, you ought to be able to distinguish between what is a good example and what is a bad example in your own father. You young women ought to be able to see in your own parents sin and to distinguish between when your mother is being obedient and a good example for you to follow or disobedient and a bad example for you to follow. Now, this is a hard thing. But if the elders are called to be to prove themselves good examples, right? Then don't you think you better be paying attention to how they're living and thinking about whether they're being a good example for you or not? Why? Now I know the immediate temptation is so that you can point your finger and say, "Aha!" Ha! The pastor told me to be on the lookout for when dad was sinning. And dad's sinning. Is that what you want to do, young men? No, probably not exactly like that, right? Maybe just in your mind. Dad's such a sinner. Dad's being so mean today. Why does dad always have to be like this when we're with family? Or why does dad always be like this when you fill in the blank, right? When is it that, that your dad sins? When is it that he becomes 
a bad example, one that you shouldn't follow. There are undoubtedly times that he's a bad example. Maybe it's when he has a headache. I have those a lot. Makes it harder to be a good example, right? Or if I haven't had enough to eat, or if I've had too much coffee, right? Or if I haven't had enough sleep, or if I have had too much sleep. <laughs> now just go down the line and all the things that are excuses for us about why we are in a bad mood or about why we are snapping at our children or at our wife or at our mother or our father or why we shouldn't have to work hard today at being a good example or why we shouldn't have to work hard today at being subject. All of those excuses, right? Those are just excuses. <laughs> excuses are bad. Excuses are bad. It's not good for us to have excuses. Because excuses ultimately come from our pride. Okay? Excuses ultimately come out of our pride because what we're saying about ourselves is, I am good. I am good. It's just that this thing has happened. And it's not my fault now that I'm acting this way. What do you expect? I'm good. The situation is bad. Therefore, it's the situation. Right? That's ultimately what an excuse is. It's out of our pride saying, I'm good. Nobody could expect me to behave differently in this situation. Dad is being unreasonable. Well, maybe he is. That's a great excuse for us to have a bad attitude, isn't it? This is Peter. Peter says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And that's all he says. Just be subject to your elders. He doesn't say, as long as he's being reasonable. He doesn't say, as long as... Uh, you have no other excuses about why it would be a bad idea. He just says, be subject to your elders. And of course, you've got to remember that the context of First Peter is the suffering that Christians are undergoing. And of all the times that you would expect for somebody to say, I know you don't deserve this suffering, 
the authorities are being unreasonable. You don't have to listen to them. This might be one of those times that you would expect it in the Bible, but no. He doesn't say anywhere in this book except for this. Are there exceptions? Of course there are exceptions. Peter and John, when they're commanded to stop preaching in Christ's name by the elders, right, say we must obey God rather than man. Peter is the one who wrote this book. He knows there's exceptions. He knows you know there's exceptions. The problem is that we like to come up with all kinds of exceptions that don't have anything to do with God has said, therefore I must obey him rather than man. It's in our pride coming up with excuses. Yesterday our washing machine finally stopped completely. It had been... uh, it had been having trouble, but yesterday, it was done. It would not spin to dry, the, to get the, the water out, and so we had need of a new washer quite suddenly. Also, there was not just a lot of laundry, there was particularly nasty laundry that needed doing yesterday, and so it became all the more important to quickly come up with a solution. So, we all worked together. Found some, Heidi found something, messaged the guy. I was messaging other people on Facebook, marketplaces. We found a decent, cheap machine that would just hopefully run for another 20 years, 20, 20 year old machine, that's what we bought. And uh, and then I took the boys with me to get it, and we loaded it up, and we brought it home. And you know that 20-year-old washer then had to go into our basement. And that 20-year-old washer was still going because it was a beast. I don't know how much it weighed, but... <clears throat> Me and Tate and Moses had to get it into the basement. And you know, I was pretty unreasonable with them. I had all kinds of requirements, like, don't you dare set that down on the wooden floor. They didn't. I was proud of them. But, you know, I imagine that there were all kinds of temptations at that moment and afterwards because of my unreasonable demands requiring things of them that were literally beyond their strength. For them to 
have a bit of a bad attitude. Don't you think? Wouldn't you be tempted? So, was I proving to be an example? No. I wasn't. And yet, are they to be subject? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. You see, it's the same kind of thing that happens when uh, in Ephesians 5, when there's instructions to husbands and wives. We like to read the other person's mail. Right? Husbands like to read what the wives are supposed to do and be like, Mm, that's right. I knew it. And wives then like to go, I think you missed something. Hello? Right? We like to read each other's mail. And it's the same with young men and elders. the same with fathers and sons. We like to look at each other's commands rather than our own. So, young men, how do you respond when an elder is not proving to be an example to the flock? How ought you to respond? Do you stop being subject? Do do you even know what it means to be subject? Let's let's throw this car in reverse and back way up. Do we need to define this? Be subject? What does that mean? How about submit? Subject, to be subject is to be under. Right? Sub, Latin, that you've all taken, right? Some of you. Sub means under. To be subject, I'm only guessing that the root is the Latin when it says subject, because I can't remember for sure off the top of my head. To be subject is to be under. And that is humiliating, isn't it? To have a father that God has said to honor, when you've begun to realize that he's a sinner, and not just a sinner, but someone who sins against you, That's humiliating. Now, do you want me to give you all of the worldly reasons why you should go ahead and be subject? 
to such a father? If you ever have a boss, that means being subject to somebody, right? How many of you have had bosses before? Raise your hand if you've had a job and had somebody as your boss. Okay. How many of you have had a boss that was perfect? Everybody look around. All the kids look around. Anybody have their hand raised? Nobody has had a perfect boss. So here's the first reason you learn as children, as young men, as sons and as daughters, to be subject to sinful men so that when you get a job, you already know how to do it. And your parents make you do hard things that you don't like so that when you get a job, you already know how to do it. Now, when you do it, even though it's hard and nasty and disgusting and miserable and makes you sweat or makes your brain hurt or makes you suffer in whatever way the work is that you like least, when you go ahead and do it, do you know what happens at work? You advance. God has set up the world in such a way that we benefit from being subject. We benefit from learning how to be subject. I can talk about that being a worldly reason, but you know what happens if you go back into the Old Testament and read the Ten Commandments? Find the one that is about parents? Does anybody know what that commandment says? What is, the, what is the, that commandment? What number is it? Which you kids can tell me what number. Yeah? Number five, which says what? What is the fifth commandment? Moses wants to say it. Oh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> which you kids knows the fifth commandment? Honor your father and your mother. Are you going to keep going? <laughs> that your days may what? May be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. It sounds very worldly, doesn't it? Here it is, again, in 1 Peter. Young men, be, likewise, be subject to your elders. It's the same command. Just stated another way. Just applied to a more particular 
group of people, slightly different, taking it from the nuclear family into the church family, right? And what do you see? See that the command hasn't changed. And if I tell you, if you are submitting to the elders, sinners though they be, you will benefit in this life. Am I crazy? No. I'm just applying God's word. Just applying God's word. Now, parents, if you don't have the faith to require your children to obey, looking forward to the crown of glory for them, do you have the faith to make them obey and be subject simply for the sake of being able to live long lives? You see how important it is? Just like elders and fathers don't have a choice whether to do the work of being fathers, you young men don't have a choice about whether to be subject to your elders and fathers. It's a requirement. It's a command of God. It also comes with wonderful promises. That same crown of unfading crown of glory is promised to young men who are subject to their elders. And then you have a little add-on and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humility towards one another. Right? Because God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we've got this horizontal relational aspect between us, how we are to behave towards one another, and then you have God brought into the picture. The given, of course, is that we're to be humble beneath the hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty, righteous hand of God, and he will raise you up. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The fact that his hand is mighty is not added in there just accidentally. It's helpful in keeping us humble, isn't it? To remember that God's hand is mighty. Because it reminds us how weak our hands are. It reminds us how Weak and insignificant, we are. So if young men are supposed to be subject to older men, 
And then it says that they're to be humble, have humility toward one another. As a matter of fact, clothe yourselves with it. Cover your whole body with humility toward one another. What would it look like to not be humble? Well, of course, the first is to refuse to be subject, to refuse to submit, to refuse to do what you're told, to refuse instruction, to refuse the wisdom of those who have gone before you. Pride in young men is refusing to listen to older men. That's basically it. Pride in younger men is refusing to listen to older men. What is pride in older men? Basically refusing to listen to younger men. <laughs> right? The pride of saying, I'm older, I'm wiser, I know what I'm talking about, and I refuse to learn anything from you young whippersnappers. I'm certainly not going to acknowledge that you know something that I don't know. When I was a kid, it was the whole, you know, setting the time on the VCR. It was kids could do it, adults couldn't. And so it was always set to 12. Why? Always just stuck on the wrong time. Well, I mean, because it just doesn't matter is probably the real reason, right? Nobody cared. <laughs> but also, no, you're not going to set the time and make me look like an idiot who can't set the time on the VCR. Of course I know how to do it. Leave it alone. Right? Isn't this, isn't this the pride of an, of an older man? Clothing ourselves with humility towards one another starts with humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Because humility toward one another flows out of our humility toward God. There's a lot of ways of being proud towards one another. Being condescending, in the negative sense of that word, right, is pride. Is pretending like you didn't struggle with the same exact sins when you were a young man. That's, that's absurd. You did. Quit being proud. God is the one who brought you through.
pride shows up in so many ways. And it destroys our relationships with one another, doesn't it? Elders, younger men, fathers, sons, mothers, daughters. I heard this morning my wife say, Will you stop arguing with me? What is that? Instruction, right? Instruction to somebody who is proud and will not listen. And it demonstrates an uncomfortable state of affairs, doesn't it? Nobody likes to be in the room when that sort of tension is going on, right? When there's discipline being meted out, there are the perverse kids who like to go and listen at the door. One, two, three, four swats. Four swats. He got four. But that's, that's pride, isn't it? Being gleeful over the punishment, discipline of your siblings. But most kids are like, I want out of here. I don't like living in this discomfort of seeing somebody else being disciplined because I know what it feels like and I know what they did was wrong and I know that the relationship is messed up. I see it all. I want to get away, right? So most of the time, what we do, we try to avoid it. Humility towards one another, though, flows out of having humility towards God, humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now think about the disciples. We talked about, you know, you got fathers, sons, mothers, daughters, elders, parishioners, that's you, people, the flock, right? Younger men. And then... Think about the disciples, the apostles, the twelve. And you remember that in their pride, they argued with one another about who was the greatest. I mean, it kind of sounds like playground politics, doesn't it? Playground arguments. Well, the only reason I got out of the first square is because you cheated. Which is to say, I'm the best at four square. Now you're not the best at four square. I'm the best at four square. Now I'm better. <laughs> the best of all, though, is the person that refuses to play and sits off on the side. Yeah. They don't have anything. I'm so good, I'm not even going to play. We all have our ways of being proud. Foursquare is so dumb. I can't believe they care so much about it. I'm so superior to them for not caring about Foursquare. Are there a million ways of being proud or what? And this is the apostles. 
doing it. But who is the greatest? And it just flows out of pride, doesn't it? Pride against God. Deciding who is most important in the kingdom of God. When Jesus responds to them, at one point he says, look, who sits at my right and at my left isn't even mine to decide. It's not mine to give. God decides. Which is to say, be humble. Right? It's Jesus demonstrating be a good example to his apostles, to those who are to be subject to him, isn't it? By demonstrating humility himself. He says, God will decide. And if you just would get that God is in charge and that he is the one that has a mighty right hand, just get that through your mind, then you know what would happen? You'd stop arguing with each other. If you would clothe yourselves with humility toward God, then you would be clothed with humility towards one another too. Because it's kind of like two ants arguing about who's the strongest while there you are standing with your foot over top of them. Can you tell the difference between the two ants? God can tell the difference between us. He knows who's stronger and who's weaker. The ants, I'm sure, have a very definite opinion about which of them is stronger and which of them is weaker. They both think that they're stronger. Did you see the seed I was carrying? Meanwhile, you know, you're taking handfuls of seeds and throwing them in the grass. The comparison is absurd. Comparing ourselves to one another, God is in our presence. What silliness. He has a mighty hand. And if we are humble, you know what will happen? He'll exalt us at the proper time. He'll exalt us at the proper time. And Jesus gives this instruction as well to his apostles, to the disciples, to the people. Don't go sit at the head of the table. Go sit at the foot. Be humble. And let the host come and say, no, no, you come sit in the place of honor. Instead of being sent out of the place of honor. What are you doing here? I had this reserved for John. Oh, don't I look like an idiot? Well, you are an idiot. Have some humility. God raise you up. Let God exalt you. And how do you get exalted? How do you receive the unfading crown of glory? By obeying him. And what are the commands that he gives? Well, the elders are supposed to shepherd the flock. And the younger men 
are to be subject to them. Requires humility on both counts, doesn't it? Requires all of us to be humble. And if we remember that God is the one with a mighty right hand, and that he's the one who gives out the rewards, we'll stop worrying so much about what other people think of us. We'll be humble towards one another because we're already humble towards God. And that whole thing about long life, in this life, if you obey and submit to and honor your parents, yeah, well, it also carries on into eternity. you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Some of you in this room don't care about that. You're too proud to even listen to a sermon. But if you... Remain in your pride. God will oppose you. God will oppose you. It is a fearful thing to be found fighting with God. So I hope that you will all listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are mighty and we are weak. You are holy and we are sinners. You are loving. And Father, we are impatient. Father, we have nothing to be proud of, but you in your grace, I've promised that if we will humble ourselves, you will give us grace instead of opposing us. Please forgive us for our pride. Help us to turn away from it and to be humble towards you and to one another. We ask these things Amen.